You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. So if you would, please bow with me in prayer. Oh God, God of heaven and God of earth, Lord, we thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Lord, you are a good and holy God. Lord, we all remember you this morning. I pray now that you would have your presence here in this service. I pray that you would speak through the words that I will be giving. I pray that they would be your words and not my own, and that you would open up hearts to hear them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So our passage this morning, following our series in Luke, comes from Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin turning there at this time. If you do not have a Bible, Hunter is available, and she has some for you. So just throw up your hand, and she can get one into your hands. So Luke 14, 1 to 6. As we are reading this passage today, you might start to feel a little bit of a feeling of deja vu. Like, haven't we done this before? Today's passage is of Jesus healing on a Sabbath. And some of the religious leaders don't think he should be doing this. You may remember that two weeks ago, Jake preached on a very similar passage in which Jesus healed a woman who had been bent over unable to straighten or stand up chronically. And if you've been with us for many years, you'll know that seven chapters earlier, in Luke, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, also on the Sabbath. And this account is found in not just Luke, but also Matthew and Mark. But not to be left out, John, in his gospel, also tells the story of Jesus healing on a Sabbath. He heals an invalid, and once again, he gets into hot water with the religious leaders for doing this on the Sabbath. Why do each of these gospel writers devote so much time to Jesus healing on a Sabbath? See, Lazarus, Jesus rose from the dead, which is a pretty big deal but that only gets mentioned in one of the Gospels. Jesus' miraculously feeding of the 4,000 is only found in two of the Gospels. And even Jesus' own birth is missing from two of our Gospels. So apparently, whatever, whatever point Jesus is trying to make by healing on the Sabbath, the Gospel writers thought was pretty important, enough to repeat multiple times, Luke himself doing so three separate times in his own gospel. So, even though the passage today may seem a little redundant, I don't believe that is without reason. So let's look closer today 
and see what truths we can draw from the passage. Luke 14, 1 to 6. One Sabbath, when he, was, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not respond to these things. So the first thing that we see in this passage is the day of the week. It was a Sabbath day. Now, as you may know, the Sabbath was not just a regular day of the week for the Jews. Luke putting this detail in there wasn't just so we would have some sort of a time marker. The Sabbath wasn't just a day of the week, but it was rather like a weekly holiday for the Jews. And this holiday had its roots back to the very time of creation. In the book of Genesis, we read that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all of creation in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Later, in the book of Exodus, we read in the Ten Commandments that God commanded the Jews to observe the Sabbath day in which they were to do no work. Exodus 20.10 tells us that no one, not even a person's livestock, were to do any work on the Sabbath. For just as God rested from his work on the seventh day, so his people were to rest on the Sabbath day. And for the Jews, this wasn't just a minor command. It wasn't just something buried among rules about what you should eat or about what you should do with mold in your house. This law was a very big deal. I already mentioned that it was mentioned in the Ten Commandments, which itself shows its significance. But also in Exodus 31, God says to Moses, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And do you know what the penalty was for breaking the Sabbath? Death. Exodus 31, 14. Everyone who profanes it, the Sabbath, shall be put to death. And this wasn't an empty command either. In Numbers 15, we read about a man who was out gathering sticks, presumably for firewood. And he was doing this on a Sabbath. And when he was found, the people put him into custody. And the Lord directly spoke to Moses, saying, the man shall be put to death. And so he was stoned for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. So if death were the punishment for working on the Sabbath, wouldn't you want a very, very clear definition of what exactly is and isn't work? I would. 
I wouldn't want to be the guy out taking my garbage to the street on Saturday morning and then get sent to the executioner because of it. I would like to know exactly what is and isn't work so that I can stay as far away from that line as possible. And I'm sure the Jews felt that way too. But that leads me to ask, who gets to decide what is work and what isn't work? Well, in order to give a thorough interpretation of work, the Jews had a very detailed oral law which the Pharisees believed dated back to Moses himself. And this oral law, it worked like an interpretive companion to the written law. It gave very, very specific instructions about what was not allowed to be done on the Sabbath so that people could avoid getting stoned to death as well as other things, which I think would be a very helpful tool. I wanted to give this short background on the law and on the Sabbath because I think it will help us understand the perspective of the Pharisees a little bit better. See, the Pharisees are usually painted as the bad guys in the Bible. And in many regards, that is true. Jesus frequently rebuked them, and they did have Jesus killed after all. So that would put them in the category of bad guy, by my opinion. But after hearing this background on the Sabbath, and hearing the consequences for disobedience, after hearing that a man was given the death penalty from God for collecting sticks on the Sabbath, don't you feel a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees too? They were trying to obey God. Truly, of all the people in Israel at that time, they were probably the ones who desired most to obey God. Yet, Jesus seemed to have his harshest criticisms for the Pharisees. Why is that? Why did the Pharisees always seem to get it wrong? Well, that's one of the questions that I want us to explore this morning. So let's keep going in our text. Jesus is here dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, which means he was likely a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling authority of the time. And there was a man in the home who suffered from a condition called dropsy. Now, it's really not all that relevant to the passage what dropsy specifically is, but I'll quickly let you know that dropsy has since had its name changed. It is now known as edema, and it refers to a condition in which part of a person's body swells up due to an excess fluid buildup. Most likely, this guy was not in danger of dying that day. Well, when Jesus sees the man, he asks the Pharisees and the lawyers in the room a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So what do you guys think? Do you think it was lawful? Well, I was curious about this question myself. So I went to Google, and according to numerous sources, yes, healing was indeed considered a form of work. Healing was 
forbidden to be done on the Sabbath. Now, you might be thinking, that is a bit of an absurd commandment. For one, besides Jesus, how many people did this rule really apply to? Were there other people who were walking around Judea at the time, healing, giving sight to the blind, giving voice to the mute? It seems that this rule was made specifically just for Jesus. But actually, the rule was created because healing at that time, in most situations, involved medicinal use. And most of the medicines back in the day, before modernization, involved grinding of herbs or spreading of oils or something like that. Tasks which could much more easily be seen as a form of work, especially if you are a first century pharmacist or doctor. But there's also biblical evidence to show that healing was condemned on the Sabbath by the Jews at the time. As I noted earlier, we read not in just one, but all four Gospels that the Pharisees were upset about Jesus healing on the Sabbath and they were explicitly trying to accuse him for it. So clearly, it was a pretty unanimous opinion among the Pharisees that healing was forbidden to be done on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees, they didn't answer Jesus' question when he asked them. They knew their answer. They knew that according to their understanding of the law, healing was unlawful. But they remained silent. It seems that either they themselves were trying to trap Jesus, or they didn't like where Jesus was going with this question. So, what was Jesus' purpose in asking this question? Was Jesus curious Was he wondering, I wonder if I should heal this guy. I should probably check in with the religious authorities first before I go on. I think that's pretty obviously not the case. In Jesus' question, he was assessing, or probably more accurately, he was challenging how the Pharisees both understood God and how they interpreted the law. See, the Pharisees... They were rule sticklers. To them, the rules were about the rules. The rules were an end in themselves. So the most important thing for us is to find out how to obey the rules correctly. We do that by not carrying sticks on the Sabbath. We do that by not plucking grains on the Sabbath. And certainly, we do that by not healing anyone on the Sabbath. They believed that this is the kind of obedience that God commands. And if we are careful to follow all of the rules, we will be right with God. Is that really what God wanted? Is that really the intention of the law that God gave to Moses? Now, don't answer that question too quickly. I told you earlier about the man who was condemned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. From that example, it certainly seems that God really cared about strict obedience to the law. Once God struck a man dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant when he tried to brace it from falling, and the law of Moses was specific to the very materials that you were allowed to wear in your t-shirts 
Once again, I got a little bit of sympathy for the Pharisees and their strict adherence to the law. If I were a Jew back in the first century and I had never met Jesus, knowing myself and my personality, I probably would have been right there with the Pharisees. I'd probably be thinking, well, I'd really like you to heal this guy, but it's also important to follow the rules, so can we wait till Monday? In the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites time after time after time to obey the laws. If you haven't read through the Old Testament recently, I'd recommend that you do that. Read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you'll see that there are a lot of rules and a lot of commands to obey those rules. So again I ask, what did the Pharisees get wrong? Why does it seem that Jesus was constantly in conflict with the Pharisees who were trying to obey the rules the most? And to answer that question, I'd like us to turn now to Matthew chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 1. I'll give you a minute to find that. Matthew chapter 1, it's also going to be on the screen. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Stop there for a moment. This looks familiar, doesn't it? The Pharisees are upset about Sabbath rule-breaking. Now, at this point, I would expect Jesus to say, You guys are being ridiculous. Rubbing grain between one's fingers is not a form of work. The disciples aren't breaking the commandment. But that's not what Jesus says. Let's read on. He, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to do, for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Stop again. How did Jesus respond? Did he tell the the Pharisees that his disciples were innocent and back off? No. He instead tells them two instances in which God's people broke the law in the scriptures. He tells them that David and his men broke the law. And he tells them that even the priests break the law every Sabbath. Honestly, these verses blow me away. And I've struggled to understand this passage for a long time. Is Jesus possibly justifying, breaking his own law. Is that what he's doing? Because that's what it sounds like he's doing. How can Jesus say this? 
Well, let's read on. Verse six, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. I think Jesus is giving an answer to our question right here. What did the Pharisees get wrong? They did not understand Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And therefore, they condemned the guiltless. See, the Pharisees, they got the sacrifice side, but they completely missed the mercy side. The Pharisees, they thought they understood God. They thought they knew the law. They thought they knew what was right and true and good. And Jesus said, no, you got it all wrong. The laws were meant to reflect the person behind the law. The laws were meant to show the nature of God. You missed the heart of God completely. God desires mercy more than sacrifice. God desires love, not just strict adherence to rules. The Pharisees, they didn't know the point of the law, and therefore, their interpretation of what it meant to obey was way off. For an illustration, I think that this is something that every parent in the room can probably understand. Imagine that you gave your children a command. You should not jump off the four-foot deck in our backyard because I don't want you to get hurt. The kids totally understand the law, and they say, right, Dad, I'm not going to jump off this four-foot deck. And you go out the next day, and what are they doing? Jumping off the four-foot-tall doghouse. Did these kids obey? Technically, yes. Yes, they did. To the letter of the law, they obeyed. But effectively, no. The kids weren't obeying the point of the law at all. They weren't living in obedience to their parents' desires, just their parents' words. And I believe that this is the point that Jesus is trying to make to the Pharisees. In Luke 14, when Jesus asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He is asking if the Pharisees understood the heart behind God's law. Did the Pharisees know the nature of God? No. They knew the scriptures. They prayed the prayers. They followed the rules, but they didn't know God. So when we read a command of the Lord, like the Sabbath, and we are considering how to interpret the command, our question to ask should not be, so how exactly are we defining work? Where are the lines placed so that I can know exactly what behavior to avoid? It's not the question to ask. The question we should be asking 
is what is God truly desiring in this law? When we understand the heart of God, then we're able to more accurately interpret how to obey the law. So when Jesus asks, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We should be asking ourselves, with the Pharisees, what is God truly desiring in the Sabbath? What is the point of the Sabbath? So how would we answer that? What is God's heart behind the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest. It was a day to put down your plow, put down your hammer, put down your means of production, and trust that God would take care of you. Because honestly, resting can be hard. Giving up a day of work means sacrificing getting stuff done. And sometimes, we have a lot to get done. Losing one-seventh of our time to rest can feel impossible. If you were a poor laborer, both then and today, you may think that you need to work every day of the week just to get by. If you were a poor college student, you may think that you need to work every day of the week just to get by. That's how we tend to operate. We want control. We want more. But God knows that's not how we were designed to function. He knows that rest is good for us. And in the Sabbath command, God is asking his people to trust that he will provide everything they need. The Sabbath was not meant to be a burden to his people, but we humans can distort a thing that was made for our good. I want a show of hands here. How many people often feel worn out and just wish they could take an entire day just to rest? Say one, yeah. A lot of you. Me too. Well, guess what? This is exactly what Jesus is giving us one day a week. He wants us to get that rest, but instead of embracing it, we make the Sabbath feel like a burden. We don't trust that God will provide for us as he says he will. We don't believe the promise, so we feel the need to busy ourselves each day of the week just to get by. It's a lack of trust. Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a good thing for his people. It was a gift, not a burden. But this is how the Pharisees viewed the Sabbath, often as a burden. They missed the heart of God completely and turned it into simply a legalistic rule to obey. Multiple times in the Gospels, the Pharisees were ready to let a person suffer on the Sabbath because of their hyper-focus on the parameters of the rules to the neglect of the heart of the law. They failed to understand that healing someone, that doing good for someone, was not breaking the Sabbath, but was in harmony with the very spirit of the Sabbath. Okay. Very quickly, 
I'm just going to touch on Jesus' second question in Luke 14. Jesus says, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? What's Jesus doing here? He's pointing out the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He's showing the inconsistency in their own way of interpreting the law. See, Jesus could have asked, okay, so if you're going to make that the standard of obedience, then what about rescuing your own son from the pit? If you're going to be consistent, Pharisees, then you better leave him there or else you're breaking the law. That's what missing the heart of God leads to. It leads to decisions that displease God and even go against common sense. Jesus was saying that we can't reduce God's laws to mere obedience to the letter of the law. We can't obey God like he's a heartless computer program. So I want to turn now to some application. What does this mean for us? How can we take this principle and put it into our context in how we live today? Well, I think the first thing we can do to avoid being like the Pharisees is that we need to know the heart of God. The Pharisees' obedience to the law wasn't actually obedience to God because they didn't know the heart of God. So what is the heart of God? Well, answering that question is not something that I can do thoroughly in the seven minutes or whatever I have remaining of this sermon. That's why we study our Bible regularly so that we can learn the nature of God. But I will refer to the verse that Jesus himself uses in Matthew 12 when he's quoting Hosea 6.6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy, compassion, love for both God and for people. This is the heart of God. This is the nature of the law. And this is God's desire for us. Now to be clear, that doesn't mean that God is against sacrifice. Sacrifice is fundamental to our faith. Romans 12.1 says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But sacrifice can never be removed from mercy. It can never be removed from love. 1 Corinthians 13.3 says, If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. God isn't pleased in our sacrifices if it's not done in love. So what does that mean for us? Well, it could mean that you could give $10,000 to the church and Christian charities and miss the heart of God completely. It means that you could wake up at 5 a.m. every morning just to pray and read the Bible but you could miss the heart of God completely. It means you could go to church on Sunday morning and a community group throughout the week, but miss the heart of God. 
It means you could even fight your sin and try to obey the rules like the Pharisees were and miss the heart of God. It means you could defend your Christian beliefs to unbelievers. It means you could biblically argue your stance on baptism, predestination, speaking in tongues, and the end times, and you could miss the heart of God. It means you could go on missions trips and miss the heart of God. It means you could only listen to Christian music and miss the heart of God. It means you can, you fill in the blank. Where might your obedience be about something besides love for God and love for others? Where is your obedience not about the glory of God? God is not primarily after your outward obedience. Now this doesn't mean that obedience is not important. We're not dismissing sacrifice. But where is your heart at? Do you love God? Do you share his heart for other people? Do you desire his glory and his kingdom come and his will be done above all? I'll answer that question for myself. Sometimes. Sometimes I do. Sometimes my heart is on fire for God and I truly share his love for the world. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I desire Marty's kingdom come and Marty's will to be done. And I follow God's rules out of obligation or out of routine. But praise the Lord that God is not waiting for us to attain perfection here. He's not waiting for us to attain perfection before he shows his love to us. See, when I am unloving, when I am unfaithful, he is loving. He is faithful. Our God is not like the Pharisees. I focused a lot of attention this morning on the character of the Pharisees. But let us not miss the character of Christ. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus healed on the Sabbath because he knew, he truly knew the Father's heart of mercy. Just as Jesus took the man with dropsy and healed him, so also Jesus freely heals us because that is his character. The Pharisees didn't understand the heart behind the law of God. Jesus did. For he is the exact manifestation of the heart of God. He is merciful. He is the representation of mercy and sacrifice. And in his mercy, Jesus reaches out and heals our sickness of sin and makes us clean. He did that with the man with dropsy. He took the initiative. He healed the man because he is merciful. Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and they sat in silence. They didn't repent. They didn't apologize. They didn't humble themselves. They were silent. And we can only assume that they remained in their sins. But Jesus would have gladly 
opened up his arms and welcomed any of the Pharisees into his kingdom at any moment, but they were silent. Jesus' mercy is for anyone who wants it. He saves all who call upon him in faith. Jesus is merciful. That is the heart of God. So let us run to him and be of the same heart as God, showing mercy and love as he has had for us. Let us pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you are merciful. Lord, the only reason that we can stand here today is because of your mercy. Lord, you are merciful and you reach out to us and you heal us of what we need to be healed from, the sickness of our sin. Lord, you make us clean. Lord, we're so grateful for your mercy. Lord, we confess that we often will obey you just because it's routine or what we do. I pray you help us to know your heart and follow after the heart of our God. That your nature, that our nature would become your nature. Lord, please help us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.